Futures trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with Everag are their own and do not reflect the views of Everag. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by Everag. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Tuesday, February 21st. We are on the cusp of another snow apocalypse hitting the Midwest. Hope everyone is bracing for impact. But nonetheless, today we had March corn close up two and three quarter cents at 680 and a half. March soybeans closed up 21 and a half at 1548 and three quarters. Turning to our guest this week, it's our privilege to have Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers on with us. Thanks for joining us this week, Chandler. Thank you for having me on your show. So to get kicked off with Chandler, I think it would be helpful for our listeners just to understand what the mission of the National Association of Wheat Growers is and who are the members in which y'all serve. Absolutely. So uh, the National Association of Wheat Growers, or in short, we call it NOG, uh, around everywhere else. You know, in D.C., we don't actually use full full words when we're talking about things. But uh, our main mission at, at the Wheat Growers is to advocate on behalf of 20 of the largest wheat-producing states and the wheat growers uh, that make up their membership. I, you know, I think the main thing when people th- talk about advocacy is, you know, as a farmer, basically you are in the field for wheat almost year-round, but March through October, November, you really don't have the opportunity or the, or the ability due to, to your farming practice to always be in Washington when an issue is moving or always being at the USDA or, or down at the EPA. And, and that's our job at NOG is to represent the wheat grower uh, when they are unable to be there in person. Our main membership, uh, we're a federation uh, organization. So my membership is not John Doe Kansas Wheat Grower. Our membership is the Kansas Wheat Growers Association, the Montana Grain Growers Association. So we have 20 actual members, but represent roughly 110,000 wheat growers across those 20 states. Excellent. And wheat is a really interesting crop because in the U.S., you know, we we grow wheat, although it you know it's gotten less acres in the last, let's call it decade in particular. But it, it is, one could argue, the most important crop grown globally. And we know that globally there's virtually a wheat crop being harvested at all times. As we think about U.S. wheat specifically, what are some of the top issues that you're hearing from those state-level organizations and then obviously from members uh, within those state-level organizations that they are being faced with today? Absolutely. You know, I, the decline in wheat acres, I, I kind of like to start with you, with your beginning comment there. Uh, we do continue to see a, a decline in wheat acreage across the United States, uh, not because people don't want to plant wheat, not because we don't have wheat growers, but, you know, as a food grain, and, and a lot of people in ag forget that wheat is a food grain. We are not a feed grain. Uh, or usually we're not a feed grain. If if we're in, if we're in the feed hopper, there's something really wrong with the market, and we're not making any money. But um, as a food grain, we are much closer to the consumer, and unfortunately, the consumer has not fully accepted uh, uh, the the benefits of, of GE events and commodities. And so, as corn and soy and other commodities are able to take advantage of that technology, they're moving further north into what was you know predominantly 
uh, wheat, canola, and barley acres. And so that's one of the main reasons we have seen a decline is just the inability to adopt that that technology and have the consumer still and consumer and trading partners still buy our product. But main thing, what am I hearing across the states? Input cost, input cost, input cost, rising cost of production. As we continue to look at inflation, the cost of diesel, the cost of fertilizer, uh, in some areas, uh, you know, the, the cost of labor continuing to go up. That has been the most significant thing. And then, you know, with this most recent derailment in Ohio, which was so tragic, uh, though that was, uh, wasn't an ag commodity, uh, the need for infrastructure to be rebuilt to make sure that we have good roads, uh, railways and waterways. Uh, to make sure that we can reach not only our domestic markets, but our international markets. And then, of course, our crop protection tools continue to be challenged in court, whether that's chlorpyrifos or glyphosate and other important things that we need to, to be able to farm more green and climate friendly. And, and then I couldn't stop this. Uh, I couldn't quit answering this question if I didn't also say the farm bill. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds to me like the issues facing America's wheat growers today are the same issues that are facing all of us in production agriculture, 2023 looks to be a year where we're faced with record high costs of production, where obviously logistic issues have come to a head on the river uh, with some of the issues on the Mississippi last fall, with the continued logistical issues that the rail system has had. And some of those issues, certainly uh, producers are looking for some answers around. So Chandler, let's just talk a little bit about the farm bill. You mentioned that as being something that is top of mind with all of your producers within the Wheat Growers Association. Does your group do any advocacy or work on the U.S. farm bill? Absolutely. So uh, NOG set its farm bill priorities at last year's Commodity Classic, which is just coming up the first full week of March this year. And we'll continue to reevaluate those uh, uh, policy priorities. We had about 20, uh, then we narrowed it down to 10, and then we put them in, in ranking order. And just a few of us know exactly what that order is. But we uh, also had a fly-in uh, back in February during our winter meeting. We hit about 130, 135 congressional offices. And then we'll be having another fly-in uh, later this fall. So we, we bring our members in at least twice a year, and then sometimes even more for ad hoc need. Uh, as you know, the Farm Bill expires September 30th of 2023. And really, uh, the House and Senate Ag Committees are just now really getting churned up on having those hearings. And having been a former House Ag Committee staffer uh, who helped write the 2008 Farm Bill, uh, I think meeting that September 30th deadline is going to be very difficult just due to the amount of information and writing the legislation, getting it through both chambers, getting it through conference. Mind you, you have recesses and holidays and summer in there, and then actually getting it to the president by September 30th is going to be a heavy lift. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying that, uh, that, that I would not expect too many extensive changes if that's the deadline they're going to set. I could easily see a year extension coming as we continue to work on many of the important programs uh, that affect all wheat growers in the U.S. You mentioned that wheat is a food commodity, not a feed commodity. And as we think about the farm bill, we know that the food programs are a big portion, the largest portion really of that farm bill. I'm curious as to how specifically the National Association of Wheat Growers position themselves in that conversation because it is such a healthy 
food choice, if you will, and, and kind of supporting that program? So Nong has a very simple policy on the SNAP uh, on the SNAP provisions in the Farm Bill, and that is that we support them. We don't we don't get off into you know uh, workman work details or, or anything along those lines for several reasons. Just as you said, that we know that a whole grain diet uh, with wheat involved uh, in it is, is healthy. The dietary guidelines uh, just came out, and the grain chain continues to work on on that. So that's something that we're involved in. But what we also know from a political strategy is if you separate SNAP or the nutrition portion of the farm bill uh, from the farm programs, it is dead on arrival in the Senate. And, and I've been very encouraged that uh, Chairman G.T. Thompson of the House Agriculture Committee has already put out, I know at least one or maybe two statements, already pushing back on the far right side of his party that want him to split those two major programs apart. We have tried that in the last two farm bills, and we already know that's not a successful route. So I'm hoping that you know, the members of Congress and, and other organizations will continue to advocate. Let's keep them together. Let's not waste political time or capital separating them only to know that they're going to get put back together on the Senate side. So we have a very simple policy. We support the SNAP program and it needs to stay part of the Farm Bill. Sometimes the KISS method is the most effective. <laughs> right. That's right. You mentioned another issue that was facing U.S. wheat growers today that was top of mind, which is really a, a conversation around sustainability and environmental regulations. How does the National Association of Wheat Growers position themselves in that dialogue? And is there any work that y'all are doing on that front to help bring some clarity to the conversation, some science to the conversation? So, you know, unpacking the sustainability, uh, you know, climate smart question I think we could do a three or four hour program. I don't know if anyone would listen to it for that long, but um, you know, there's several things going on. One, we know that wheat has got a great story. Uh, we, you know, n- nothing to disparage our our corn and soy and other commodities, but you know, we know predominantly we, we use less water. We know we use less fertilizer. We know we use uh, less crop protection tools. But what Nog really didn't have, we know that through anecdotal and from practice and stories. But what we didn't actually have was the data to back it up. And so uh, U.S. Wheat Associates, along with the uh, National Association of Wheat Growers and the National Wheat Foundation, have all come together and are working on a life cycle assessment uh, with Texas A&M University. Uh, They have already started on that. We should have some preliminary information, I believe, by midsummer and late this fall. Uh, You know, one of our primary goals is we're we're going to publish aggregate information about wheat. We can't break it down by class and by geographical region because there's going to be differences there. But we are going to have that scientific data backing up our already known story that that we are a good climate uh, smart uh, commodity out there. But when it comes down to unpacking it, you know, there's two there's two things that are concerning to me. One, I'm concerned about the government getting ahead of where the growers are on comfort with some of these programs when, when they don't actually know what the sign up and the outcome is going to be. And I also worried about, I'm also worried about some of the big food companies that are out there making these big proclamations of we're going to reduce, you know, greenhouse gases or carbon in our supply chain by X percentage. And they've never come talk to us, the wheat growers, which at their very beginning of their food supply chain of what practices are we actually capable of doing and still turn a profit And then are they willing to pay a premium if we take those practices, uh, if we bring those practices in? And so there's two prongs there. The food companies, I think, are getting ahead of us. 
and, and and I'm afraid some of the government programming is gearing everything towards corn and soy. And if they do that, it'll make it very difficult for wheat to participate. Excellent points. Certainly, America's wheat growers can be thankful for the voice that you and your team bring to the national scene, if you will, as you interact with not just the the government, but also the purchasers and the refiners of these wheat products. Chandler, it's been a pleasure to talk more about the National Wheat Association today. If listeners would like to learn more about the association and the work that it's doing, where can they best do that? The best place would be at wheatworld.org on the, on the internet, and that'll, of course, link you to Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we just started with our LinkedIn, so it, we're building it out. But everything you need to know about who we are, who we represent, what our key priorities are, what we're talking about in the media can be found at wheatworld.org. And I encourage you to come to the website. Please follow us on social media. And of course, if you ever have any questions, our contact information is also on the website. Excellent, Chandler. Thanks again for your time today. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a review. Thank you to Corey Romero, our wonderful producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show. 